Up next on Episode 70 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss Dev Days, the diversity of Stack Exchange sites, the debut of CVs and careers on Stack Overflow, and the viability of Wi-Fi at tech conferences. From IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. We are uh, doing a, a, a very bizarre podcast this week. I'm on the road in Austin, Texas at the Grand Super Extra Hyatt Hotel. It's sufficiently luxurious for your needs. It's, uh, it's got a nice atrium. Good. That's important. So, you know, I'm interested in why you picked Austin as a, as a destination. Well, Austin's a big tech city. It's got, uh, you got Dell, Compaq, we're both created uh, over here. Compaq, mm-hmm. was Compaq Austin or just Texas in general? But uh, D- D- Dell it's famous for, and IBM has long had a lot of labs and stuff. Uh, you got the University of Texas. So this has sort of become a pretty major tech center. Mm-hmm. In fact, the flight, the flight, that the nonstop flight from Austin to uh, San Jose is called the Nerd Bird. <laughs> that's a that's funny little bit of trivia. The nerd bird, nice, cool. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew Austin had some interesting things going on there, but I didn't realize it was such a tech hub. Yeah, it's sort of the uh, to the tech hub of, of of Texas. Tech hub, Texas, and so uh, it's you know it's not like your Silicon Valley kind of tech hub, but it's uh, you know a, a good third or fourth in the country for fifth, sixth, right? It's definitely in the top then... ten. <laughs> Yeah, so tomorrow, that's the Austin Dev Days. How was the first Dev Days? Did you want to summarize it for people? Yeah, the first Dev Days was awesome. For those of you that weren't there, there's a lot of uh, reviews you can find on, on, on the interwebs. But um, uh, we had a bunch of, um, let's see, speakers. I can't remember. It's all just a blur. <laughs> it's it's a blur of, of audiovisual adjusting mic levels, getting displaying things and putting things on the screen and running up and giving little talks and we did. Um, it was uh, it was kind of hysteria leading up to that because there are basically four new products that uh, that all had to be ready for Dev Days. That's true. We might as well just list them here. Might as well just list them here. So um, the the Fog Creek is a new product that Fog Creek is coming out with, which is now in beta. It's called Kiln. It's a version control and code review system. Um, so it's going to be a hosted version of Mercurial for those of you familiar with the Mercurial version control system. So that's one. Kiln was the second thing. Second thing was uh, um, a, tr- a training series for those of you that want to get corporate training videos brought to you by Fog Creek Software. And there's a website for that, training.fogcreek.com. Uh, sort of in-house corporate training stuff. And that's also sort of in beta in the sense that, um, you know, we put up a website and we're taking orders, but the final, they're still in post-production, so they're not going to be ready until January 1st. The third thing is Stack Overflow Careers, which we should talk about um, extensively because that's going to be a major new, major new Stack Overflow thing. 
Right. Well, I'm actually looking at Kiln because you guys had a logo contest, and I actually hadn't oh, yeah. seen the outcome of that. Yeah, well, we got like, some kind I of like a, the logo. It's a crazy dodo bird. He's sort of insane. Yeah. Well, I like the. It's sort of similar to the fog bugs kiwi. I mean, That's it's right. Got some... It's some kind of a bird that can't fly in. Well, those logo contests are really scary in the beginning because you get the craziest input, and you're like, "This is this is not going to end well." And <laughs> it's, then uh, it's true. But, sometimes I actually I actually remember. But it did. It came out good. Yeah, only just. I mean, <laughs> that was really the only one that was that was that was acceptable. And I do remember, like like ten minutes before the end of the logo contest, telling people, "Shut this down. We're not using any of those logos over my dead body." <laughs> Well, that's the pro- well, that's the, the side effect of the, the shotgun approach. The shotgun approach has a very, very low hit rate. I mean, right. I remember being satisfied with like five percent of the entries, and we had hundreds of entries. Yeah, and I'm talking about just satisfied to the point that I would even consider them. Right, of course. So it, it, that's just the nature of the beast with that kind of thing. But yeah, I like the logo that you have, so that's good. Yeah, he's uh, um, um, our crazy new dodo bird, which will be the kin logo, kill logo. Um, Stack of Flickers. There's, there's one. There's another thing. Oh, Stack Exchange, which was officially launched. And uh, Stack Exchange, we've been talking about here a lot, which is the version of Stack Overflow where you make your own site out of Stack Overflow source code, basically. Right. And uh, um, that one had been in a kind of a closed beta where you signed up, and we basically we were letting people in as fast as we could, but we've kind of limited in. And uh, effective with the first day of uh, Stack Overflow Dev Days, um, it's now kind of an open sign-up for the beta, and pretty much everybody that signs up gets in within a day or two, I think, if not immediately. Good. Yeah, Stack Exchange. I mean, I, my main... I, I've been pretty happy with Stack Exchange except for the colors thing that I talked about. And yeah. I'm, I'm seeing improvement on the colors front, which is good. Yeah. Slight so improvement. I'm, I'm happy. And do you no, know what it, the, it's definitely better. Uh, there's a lot of sites showing up on Stack Exchange that are getting a lot of traffic. Um, good. Yeah. Do, do you know what the number one is? No. You want to guess? Uh... I don't know. I can't. My mind is a blank. Tell me. Um, okay, actually, uh, uh, hold on. Let me just see if I can bring this up here. Uh, <laughs> Even number, you don't know. The number one is called Epic Advice, and it's at epicadvice.com. It's a World of Warcraft stack uh, exchange thingamajiggy. Oh, that's hilarious. So that's it, actually doing the best. Yeah, traffic it, probably, it probably is doing as well as Super User, and that's in a matter of two days. Wow. Hold on. That's see. amazing. Yeah, okay, not quite as well as Super User, but, but, it's, but it's, it's rapidly closing in on Super User. Wow. Uh, it's still really good. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, so that's epic, uh, epicadvice.com uh, about World of Warcraft. I never would have thought to do it. It has colors you may not like, but actually they've done a little uh, bit no, of, I, I saw that one. That one does look good. I like that one. They've done a bit of tweaking. They, they basically wanted to have that, that geeky amber on black look, like the old-fashioned mm-hmm. monitors that were a little bit cooler than the green on black monitors. Right. Um, and uh, it's, it's looking pretty decent uh, color-wise. Uh, let's see. What are some of the other um, huge stack changes? Okay, so uh, our friends uh, Jason Cohen and Dharma Shaw – who are two um, successful entrepreneurs, you know, um, uh, I, I would say by any measure, successful tech startup entrepreneurs, uh, have uh, jointly created answers.onstartups.com. Let's see. Onstartups.com is uh, Darmish's uh, blog where he blogs about startups, and answers.onstartups.com is also a, like a ridiculously uh, successful stack exchange uh, where people are asking questions um, about startups, things like how do you keep yourself motivated, scaling up from one web server plus one DB server, how do you start and use a board of advisors? Um, we should be reading this. <laughs> I know. What are the top? We have 10... no idea how to do any of that stuff. <laughs> this is a good one. What are the top ten startup-friendly states in the USA? 
I'm going to go with. The trouble with the weird thing is all the startups are in Massachusetts and California, and those are probably the two least favorable Friendly, from a tax yeah. perspective, I think. Right. Um, and, yeah, and that I, one That one is good. I was I was very excited to see that one. I was actually kind of surprised you didn't want to run that one in some capacity. Oh, I, just I, mean, I know you have a million things to do. Yeah, I was, was going to start one in my spare time, but whatever. As long as there's one there, that's where I'll go and answer questions and ask questions and whatnot. Okay, so Dole, you're officially backing this one then. I like the onstartups.com. That's, that's the one I... I'm okay, be, cool. That's awesome. That's I'm great. I'm going to be betting on. But, you know, uh, anything then, can come up. I mean, there's definitely they're going to be competitive stack exchanges, and they're going to be ones that sort of compete against Stack Overflow itself. That was something we were supposed to talk about, right? Yeah, let's talk about it. It is. It is, but let's come back to that, because I do want to mention one other uh, Stack Exchange site that I have been exposed to accidentally, and that is uh, moms for moms. Ah, uh, yes, moms for mom. Because oh, I was actually getting usability feedback from my wife Betsy based on her usage of Moms for Mom, and that was hilarious to me. Because I, you know, the thing the thing that's cool about Stack Exchange, and the thing I'm excited to see it sort of push boundaries on, is you know we had a very specific tech audience in mind when we built this thing. I mean, it was essentially programmers, and you know we kind of spidered out into IT guys and uh, <clears throat> sysadmins, and you know just general you know pro users. Mm -hmm. But these are people who love computers and they're they're down with, you know, lots of geeky things. So what we're finding out with sites particularly like Moms for Mom and I suppose Epic Advice as well, although those would be gamers, which would kind of be pro users. So I think Moms for Mom is the best example, in my opinion, of just sort of the average user, how they're going to be impacted by does this crazy thing on my screen even make sense to me? Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was amusing to me to get feedback and I got the little lecture from Betsy about open ID. She's like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, the open, open ID. ID. I don't know. She's like, I don't know if I get that. So I have to like, I'm going to sit down with her and go over it and see what is going wrong. But well, I for most is... people, yeah, it's basically Google at this point, honestly. I mean, I did some stats on open ID and it's already, Google came in really late to the open ID party, but it already on like Stack Overflow, it's like 56% of all users use Google. Basically, you just click the giant Google button and you're done. As long as you that's... have a Gmail account or a Google account, which most people do. Which most people do. Then just click um, that button and just stop worrying about it. Yeah. Yeah, and Yahoo has done a pretty good job. They've really improved their support to the point that it's pretty easy to use. I mean, the, the kind of emerging standard is you essentially click the button and it directs you to that provider and then you get redirected back. There's no typing in of URLs anymore, not mm -hmm. really. Right. You just click the giant button, and that seems to be usable enough for most people. You well, know, click yeah. the giant button, type in your email your email name and password, and then you're done. So I think there's a couple of things we could do to make even OpenID a little bit easier is explain it to people a little bit more gently. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure that in, in order to support our, the customers of Stack Exchange, we're going to have to add uh, a, a native logon facility so that you can make an account on the site if the if the uh, site creator wants wants you to be able to do that. Well, I, I support that because I thought for Stack Exchange that made sense. Sure. I mean, we had a specific audience in mind, so I, I have no problem with uh, that going on in parallel. I think that's actually kind of necessary for what you guys are building. Mm -hmm. So let's come back to your original question, which was we had talked a little bit about, like, what if what if Stack Overflow decided to start a site like Moms for Moms? We would never do this, of course, because that's not even remotely our audience. But right. we had talked about us competing with Stack Exchange sites, which yeah. we don't think a huge problem. But then we had what we hadn't considered was the inverse of that, which is what about Stack Exchange sites that kind of compete with us? Yeah. Uh, in, in a limited way. Like there's a I think one called SQL Team. Right. There's actually uh, and a couple also, of SQL ones right now. There's a SQL, SQL it looks like there's a SQL Server Central Stack Exchange. Um which I would guess that, that Redgate Software, which owns SQL Server Central, um uh signed up for one. Yeah. And those are specifically about SQL Server questions. 
Um, well, I, th I feel like we're now, we're now um, the truth is we are now competing against those. If somebody has a question to ask, they could go to either of those sites. Um, SQL Server, oh, geez. It's not fair for me not to mention the actual URL. I think it's just sqlservicecentral.com. Well, don't we have like a list? I, I'm going to post. There's a list. Somebody put together on Meta like a list of yeah. all the tech. There okay. was like 80 of them. There are. There, I didn't well, there are quite there a few. So many. We haven't. We just haven't had time to actually do a directory. And plus, our assumption was, you know, it's not like you're like I would like. Uh, oh, look at that. StackExchangeSites.com. Who the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Right, so there's a lot of these sites. I mean, there's, there a, lot, there's a lot of Stack Exchange directory sites. <laughs> oh yeah. boy, um, this is this is exciting too because you know my, one of my goals in doing this, and you know this is why we had the whole open source conversation that was was not so pleasant. Was I just want to get it out there? I want to I want to get rid of PHPVP as like the standard thing. Like I just I hate PHPVP so much that I just want to destroy it. Yeah. Uh, and and to the to the extent that we're seeing tons of people adopt Stack Exchange, that's awesome. I get really excited about that. So here's here's one of the SQL Server ones. It's called Ask SQL Team. It's ask.sqlteam.com. That is one of I think two SQL Server oriented uh, websites. Now here, the the bottom line is that we did not create uh, Stack Exchange in order that there be exactly one website on every topic, and then we could somehow make money by by, by charging people or something to be the website on the topic. What what we've discovered, what we discovered right away with Moms for Mom, with um, uh, the que uh, questions about uh, startups, uh, uh, what was it? Answers dot on startups dot com. On startups. <sighs> yes, and uh, and with uh, obviously with Epic advice about World of Warcraft is that if you have the ability to somehow get a community to come into a site, your site's going to be successful. That's that's the differentiating factor. It's not whether you come up with the interesting topic for people to ask questions and answer about. It's do you somehow have the wherewithal to get a group of people to all pile into a website and start answering questions? Because what will make people come back to a stack exchange is that when they type questions, they get answers to them. And and so um, there's there's two ways to provide that. One is you can either answer the questions yourself, staying up late at night, which we do ourselves on the Fogbugs Stack Exchange, a tiny website, which we use for tech support purposes. You know, we actually have tech support people that check that, and our programmers check that, and so you do get answers there. Or you bring in a large enough community, like at Epic Advice, where there are people that just love answering questions about World of Warcraft um, and have a lot of fun doing that. So you got to somehow get the community there. It's not about having the topic, and there may be 300 SQL Server sites but, you know, one of them eventually is going to get the mass of people. And I personally hope that that stuff just stays in Stack Overflow. But then there may be stuff that's just so specific about SQL Server that it never really shows up in Stack Overflow. Or there may, there may be people that see themselves more as SQL Server admins uh, than uh, programmers in general. And maybe they, they'll have more fun on the SQL Server sites. You know, what's funny about Moms for Mom is that John Skeet was actually on the top user page. <laughs> <laughs> Which prompted people to wonder. It's like John Skeet's everywhere. It's like he's going to be dominating every every Stack Exchange. Yeah, like, but he yeah, can't. He's, he's no number he, one, two, three, four. <laughs> he can't keep up. He's not going to keep up. Let's look at. Uh, is he even on Epic Advice? Does he does he even play World of Warcraft? <laughs> John Skeet. I don't think. Well, so. you know, the funny thing about the the uh, World of Warcraft metaphor is that it, there are some a class of alts like people who play the game will have other characters that they start just for the purpose of having other characters. Uh -huh. And I kind of view some of these sites, like say the SQL sites, as like alts. Like you could actually have, you know, you could experiment and just have another character that you run in the SQL 
uh, domain, uh, <laughs> and you just check that because you're so into it, right? Like, there's yeah. not enough on Stack Overflow. Because how many questions are about you know hardcore procs? Or I mean, there's not that many. There's a lot, but it's right. not like every day. Whereas you could go on the 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 SQL site, the SQL Stack Exchange site, and then just like every day, you'll get five or six new really good hardcore SQL questions, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah, that may be the case. That, they, that well, it all depends on whether they get the audience. Now, in the case of SQL Service Central, I know they definitely have an audience. Um, you know, because they're the largest, if, if they're definitely one of the, one of the largest, if not the largest SQL server specific discussion forums uh, on the web. And they definitely know that they want to move to a stack exchange like model. Right. So, um, yeah, so our answer is, uh, may a thousand flowers bloom, but it's really not about like our, our software is great, but it's not going to magically create a community if you can't get some, some bodies on the ground in there answering questions right. the money quote there is stack exchange does not magically create community that's still hard work right right <laughs> i mean we're right. still and let me use us as a specific example we're still growing uh super user and server fault i mean sure. those are growing but slowly well, I mean, it takes... growing. hey did you see on uh whatever uh quantcast we're like 850 or something largest site yeah but most of that is stack overflow though yeah stack overflow is still growing at a surprising clip which i mean it's already quite large yeah here we are on uh, Stack Overflow Network, according to Quantcast, as of this very second, 958th largest site. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think in, we cracked the, the top the thousand site. websites, that's, which is just insane. Probably. Yeah, that's cool. That's very, very good. I and, mean, certain uh, things that we're doing, and that implies another weirdness with the models. Like, if you don't get to a certain scale with your Stack Exchange site, does it even work? Right. You know, because I mean, we're building for scale. I mean, we're optimizing for public, well, that's know, a great... wide access it, stuff. Well, the, the the one the one way you can avoid that is I mean you can make a very small site and have it work. Uh, a good example would be fogbugs.stackexchange.com, just about fogbugs, and that's basically going to replace what was a discussion group that was very low traffic because there aren't that many people that have fogbug specific questions that they can't get an answer for or they just call us or something. But but you know it was there and especially during the beta it was reasonably active. But I mean we're talking ten twenty people going in there every day, not not like a, you know not like a large site. Um, but but fogbugs.stackexchange.com uh, is a support form for fogbugs works really well because first of all, um, we, you know we have te tech support people peek and and our programmers are peeking in there all the time making sure people get answers, uh, and secondly, um, we're posting our own questions and answers in there. We're using it as a knowledge base. So if we if if we suddenly have, we notice that we've gotten three or four emails asking us how to do X, Y, or Z, we'll post the question ourselves and the answer on our Stack Exchange just so it's there for Google to find and it can be edited and it's sort of better than a wiki in so many ways. Okay, so I have two related questions. So one, what would be the, okay, let's start with the first question. Does does this work as a support form in your opinion? Like would you yeah. buy a Stack Exchange site for support for your product? Uh, oh, heck yes. I'm going to shut down all the other support forms that we're, that we're using, which are all actually Fogbo's discussion groups. And uh, we're going to shut those down and use uh, Stack Exchange. I, I was honestly surprised because for a long time we used user voice, which, you know, it's built as a support E type form. Yeah. User and, voice has a bit of an emphasis, not so much on providing support so much as getting feedback on future versions, which is a little bit different. It's more like not how do I solve this emergency problem I'm having right now. It's right. more like tell us what you want from version 2.0. I was actually surprised. I mean, because I went in a very skeptical of, of Stack Overflow working as a discussion slash feedback site, but I have been shocked how well it actually works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just you did add one feature for that, right? You added the the special tag. 
that only yeah, I added, I added two things. One is moderator-specific tags, so that moderators can have certain tags that they own, and also required tags. So every time you start a question, you must have one of these tags. The support is still kind of janky for that, honestly, because that was a meta-specific thing. So I didn't do it right, and I probably should go back and do it right. Because if other Stack Exchange sites want to do that, the support for that needs to be more robust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the the second question I would have for you is, what's the minimum number of of knowledgeable people you'd have to have for the site to actually be worthwhile? Like even assuming like some amount of just random anonymous internet traffic, how many yeah. users do you think it would take to make a site worthwhile? Um, they were well, all really good users. One. Really knowledgeable. One. One. Yeah. Really. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for for a while, the Fogworks Knowledge Exchange it was just rich. And because it was his job to go in there and make sure that people were getting answers. And so people, you know, he'd go in there at least once a day or once or twice a day. And that meant that you got an answer in 24 hours. And that's about the best you could, you know, and and then you're going to have a site where people can ask questions and get an answer within 24 hours, unless their question is already there, in which case they get an answer immediately. And that's already more valuable than using PHPBB, where you got to find that search box, which is in a different place every time. <laughs> and now uh, you got to search on right. Google, and you got to make an account if you want to search, and all kinds of wacky things that some of those sites make you do. So, um, well, let me give you an example. That's so a, that's a functional and, uh, site. I mean, it's not a it's not a, a tremendous site, but it, it's functional. And actually, if you look at uh, like if you look at the homepage of the Fogbook site right now, let's see the one one thing I do to tell how active a site is is. Um, you can sort of look at what questions are getting their most, most views, or you can look down at the bottom and see what's at the bottom of the first page. You know, how many days in the past is that? So we've got a, we've, we, on, on the Fogbook site, we've got two weeks' worth of questions on the active page, uh, which means it takes two weeks to fill up the active page. That's, that's about the rate at which that site is filling up. That's not a very uh, active site. And yet, I think if you ask people that are using it whether they're getting value out of it, uh, I think they would say, yeah, I'm getting my questions answered quickly. Well, and just to give you an example of, of why I like this, and, and even between you and I, Joel, this careers thing, you know, Joel is really driving a lot of the features because I feel like he has a lot more knowledge about it than we do. So we have a lot of internal communication about what's going on in careers, and, and I really sometimes have even been urging Joel to, like, don't don't email me the answer, like, post it on Meta so I can just read it there like everybody else because yeah. the more we can get out public, really, the better it is. I mean, basically, it's just escaping that email silo. As much as you can. I mean, there are obviously things that are still private that we have to email each other, but are just stupid things that nobody would care about. Um, but I, I totally agree. I mean, if you can put your stuff, just get away from that email silo of emailing customers and get to public information that other people can find. Mm-hmm. It's a much better long-term investment in whatever it is your company is doing or exactly. your, you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So let's let's transition to the careers thing. Careers. So that let's was talk that about was careers. The, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the big announcement for the Stack Overflow team because we've been working on that for you know the last six to eight weeks, uh-huh. actually quite a bit quite a bit longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was I was really excited to actually finally get it out there so people could look at it, and touch it, and and play with it. Now, right off the bat, I think we we I don't want to call it a misstep, but I think there was a little bit of a miscommunication, a misunderstanding about how we should have been doing this with regards to public versus private. Yeah. And we've already made, we're going to make a, an adjustment on that. So maybe right. Joel, you could talk about that. Well, so the original idea, well, let's just talk about the basic idea. The basic idea is that we got these great developers on Stack Overflow. I mean, they really are. And when I look at people posting on Stack Overflow and I think about how I, as the, the, as the manager at, at Fog Creek, need to hire great developers, I think, boy, I wish I knew which of these people were on the job market and if they would even remotely consider, you know, a job. And I just sort of wish I had a way to push a button and get a list of people on Stack Overflow who uh, are, you know, let's say knowledgeable about, you know, a few technologies that I consider to be valuable. 
maybe Lisp and C, <laughs> and uh, and Visual Basic, and uh, and uh, uh, on the on the market, willing to consider a job in in New York City. And uh, so that's exactly what we wanted to make. We wanted to make a way that employers could basically search for people who were looking for jobs on Stack Overflow and kind of see them on Stack Overflow. So instead of just looking at their resume, I mean, resumes really suck as a way to communicate or prove that you're a good developer. If you've ever had to screen uh, resumes, you've ever had a pile of resumes to go through of programmers, you just sit there saying, I, I, I can't even begin to guess who's good here, right? There might have been two people who have been working at Microsoft for 10 years and, and they both went to Ivy League schools and they both got good grades. And, you know, one of them is just a hundred times better programmer than the other one. And you can't, you're not going to know by looking at their resume. Each, and you still look resume. at resumes pretty much. Yeah, well, we week. have to. I mean, yeah, and I, and I do all the time. And we have a scoring system that we use to try to isolate the ones that are worth interviewing. Ooh, tell me what it is so I can optimize for it. Yeah, you sure can. It's, uh, <laughs> it's go to Amazon.com, search for Joel Spolsky, and look for my latest book, Smart and Get Things Done. It's chapter three. Uh, you tricked me. You tricked me into buying. You tricked me into buying your book. That's so uncool. Okay, well, I'll tell you what it is. We look for evidence. So some of this stuff it's it's hard to find on resumes, and sometimes we don't see evidence of it on the resume, even if it might exist. But we look for things like passion for computers. So I want to see that you play with computers in your spare time. That you were into you were programming TRS eighties when you were a little kid. I want to see that you just love computers because that's often a good sign. Uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff like that that we'll, that we'll, that we'll look at on resumes. We'll, we'll look at how, how good you are at communicating, how, how, how clear were you at communicating in a cover letter. We'll, we'll look and see if you're writing a cover letter that's specific to Fog Creek as opposed to a cover letter that you've copied out of a book that doesn't say anything about Fog Creek. And the reason for that is that the one copied out of a book, all else being equal, it's more likely that you're applying to 100 jobs. And if you're applying to 100 jobs, it's less likely that you'll work for us if we hire you. Because you're applying to 100 jobs. And anyway, why are you applying to 100 jobs? You don't have any confidence in your abilities, so maybe that's because you're a loser. So anyway, so that's it, – it's not <laughs> it's not guaranteed, right? Like there's no proof that just because you sent me a generic cover letter that you're not going to be a great developer, but I got nothing else to go on. Was it was it a generic cover letter or was it a specific cover letter saying, you know, I love Joel's software. I want to move to New York because because, you know, that's the awesomest city in the world. I want to work for you. <laughs> and and that second one, we're going to interview you first, you know, all else being equal, just because there's a higher chance that it's going to work out. But that's a that's a very very weak, you know, indicator. It doesn't prove anything. There might be somebody that just you know couldn't be bothered to write a custom letter that day or whatever. And so, um, so 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 the, the old system of resumes, just trying to browse through resumes, really stinks. But if you have a list of people on Stack Overflow that you know are looking for jobs in New York City, and you can go and look at their profiles on Stack Overflow, see the questions that they're asking, the questions that they're answering, see if they're good at communicating, see how many points they have, see if they're making an effort to help the community, um, see if they can explain things, see if they appear to have in-depth knowledge, see if the code that they post is clean and elegant and smart and intelligent. Uh, you can tell a lot more about a person than you can from a traditional resume. And so so it seems like a great system for somebody who's who's looking to hire the great programmers. And it's a great system for the programmers too, because you, you know you want to be you want to be where the good employers know to look. So that's what careers is all about. It's all about uh, matching the great programmers with the great uh, employers. That was that was really high level. That's okay. I so mean, maybe that's you going, should explain how. It, given 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 that, now Jeff will tell you what it actually does. <laughs> so, <clears throat> what it does is you can go to careers.stackoverflow.com. It's currently in beta, so there's a very low low introductory rate. And you can actually create a, what we were, we're calling a CV. Now, CV is the more European term 
for right. a resume. But there, there's a reason we didn't use the word resume. Yeah. Because one, I feel like resume is kind of a word that has negative connotations to me now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think CV just just it's more open ended as well. That's probably what attracted me to it. Is that the CV is is not about I want to necessarily go out and get a job tomorrow because I'm desperate. Right. Uh, CV is more like I've done some really cool stuff. And, and I would like to share that cool stuff mm-hmm. with you or anyone else who's interested. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to me, that's that's why we chose that word because people have asked. They're like, oh, it's so European. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just think it's more open-ended and it, it makes it more friendly. You don't feel like, okay, I'm immediately on the job hunt the minute I put a resume out because that's not really the intent. And that's one of the major adjustments we're making is that since uh, <clears throat> originally the, the view was that, okay, the CVs would all be private. But now we're going to make it so that you can put a public CV up at no charge. There's no charge or anything for this. Mm-hmm. And you can actually share that with the world. And you can actually have a what's called a vanity URL. So it'll be careers.stackoverflow.com slash whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a certain amount of land rush involved. <laughs> so you <laughs> kind of, if you're interested in this, we haven't done we haven't done the public thing, but we're thinking by the end of the, 20, by the 23rd, it, it'll definitely be available. That's pretty soon. Um, yeah, it's still pretty soon. So the intent is that as a programmer, you if you want to, this is completely optional. So let me be upfront about this. Like if you like Stack Overflow and you don't care about any of this career stuff we're doing, you don't have to even look at it. It's not going to bother you. It's not going to be surfaced on the site in any, yeah. any meaningful way. Yeah. You can just ignore it and continue as usual with Stack Overflow. But if you're into A, listing your CV, like mm-hmm. sharing some of the cool stuff you've done with people in a more detailed way than just the, the free text box that we have on your Stack Overflow profile, mm-hmm. or B, you actually are sort of in the thinking about getting a different job or wanting a, a, a job as a student, then go to careers.stackoverflow.com, you know, fill out your CV, and then you can do two things with it. You can make it public optionally so that it's visible to Google and the world through your vanity URL that you can set up yourself. That That's free, costs nothing. Uh, and then B, probably the more interesting thing for people who are actively looking for a job, you can uh, file it, which makes it searchable by employers. So when you do this, you're flipping a bit that says, hey, employers, I am actively looking for a job and I'm interested in you proposing me work that would be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I think is interesting here and sort of the angle we're taking is that s- smart companies should be pursuing good programmers and not really the other way around. Absolutely. Okay, so we're kind of flipping the equation a little bit and saying, if you're a good programmer and you have a great CV, a nice track record of stuff that you've done, you have a track record on Stack Overflow of you know being helpful to your peers and actually writing in a clear and concise way and some really cool posts on Stack Overflow. Um, that that should be enough for employers to look at you and say this person would be a great fit for my company. And we're trying to attract the types of companies that appreciate passionate programmers and and aren't just like resume hunters, right? They're not just keyword scanners. They're actually looking for people who give a crap, right? Right <laughs> about our craft, you know, because they realize that, hey, our company is built on, like your company, Joel, for example, obviously is an obvious yeah. example, where, you know, it's all about having the best programmers. I mean, what's your, fam- what's your formula? The best programmers, the best software, <laughs> the best environment. Yeah. <laughs> You're really interested in having the best programmers because you realize it's a strategic advantage. And for a lot of companies, honestly, I don't think they care. <laughs> they know that if they don't have the best programmers, it probably doesn't really matter. It, it and, does. They just don't think it does. Well, yeah, they don't think it does. Right. <laughs> And, they don't, and, they don't and know that, how much it matters to get the best program, how, how much better off life would be. And we're not interested in those companies. Like, we're not yeah. really, we don't care if those types of companies don't use the site because we don't really want them to. Right. But for the type that do appreciate, you know, hitting the high notes, that whole essay, um, they're going to come to Stack Overflow Careers and actually clue in 
mm-hmm. and actually drill down into your CV, drill down into your Stack Overflow profile, and sort of get a sense of what you're about. And hopefully they'll be approaching you. It's almost like a dating site is the way I like to click, look at it. You're trying to make a love connection, right? You're, you're passionate about programming. This company is passionate about passionate programmers, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to make a love connection. They're going to approach you via email. And, you know, hopefully there'll be some interest at some point. And it just really focuses and narrows down the list from like, you know, career and, and career builder and dice and monster where it's just kind of like a sea of, of sort of sameness and mm-hmm. just random people putting random resumes out into the world. And just it's just a statistics game. Right. Right. We're trying to we're trying to tweak the odds, like cheat the cheat the house, like incredibly so mm-hmm. that. You're already dealing with passionate programmers who are pretty good, and you're attracting the type of companies who understand what this stuff is all about. So your hit rate is hopefully much, much higher. Yeah. That's really the attraction. Somehow, when I think about how the job market works right now for great programmers, what happens is that in a couple of big places, like let's say that you're in New York, people tend to know who the big employers are who are good places to work. So in New York, people know there's about 1,500 Google people. Google has great lunch. They don't have the greatest working conditions. Uh, it's really just a big, a big room full of desks, but they have pretty good, pretty plush circumstances as far as programmers go, and it's certainly a great place to be a developer, uh, and everybody knows that. So the question is, what if you're in Austin, like I am right now? Do you know what those companies are? Or what if it's a smaller company of like five, six people that are just passionate, and you've never heard of them, and they're doing great with their startup, and they want to hire a couple more people, and it would be a fantastic place to work, but you know nobody's heard about heard of them yet. And so uh, similarly, you know, what if you're that great programmer in sort of a second, second tier market or somebody or you're, you're, you're not that well known yet. This is kind of the way of matching up um, the, the, the great people that are. It's not like, you know, Brian Kernahan going and getting a job at Google as he did. It's not about, you know, like the number one main programmer getting a job at the number one. It's all about sort of the second tier, the, 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 the not so well known names of great programmers getting jobs at the not-so-well-known great companies. Sure, because there's there are a lot of companies out there, like small. I mean, because yeah. Fog Creek is a small company. Yeah. I mean, Stack Overflow is a small company. Sure. You know, you may not know all the companies out there. You may that not really realize, get, yeah, that yeah. you could be working on Stack Overflow right now if you lived in New York and applied for a job at Fog Creek. Now, one question, Joel, that came up that I specifically want to address was about recruiters. There's some subtlety to the recruiter story because my vision of this was that we want the companies, when, whenever possible, we want to cut up the middleman and, and connect programmers with the companies, right? right? And that's but what the good programmers to want too because the good programmers know that they have a choice of where to work. And that means that they, they want to hear about this company that they're going to be working at. And they, they don't even know if they want to respond or interview until they've gone to the company. They've heard the name of the company. They've gone to the company's website. They've looked at what they make and what they sell. And, you know, they've kind of got an idea about if this is a company that they would be willing to spend a few years at, uh, you know, whether they can get behind the mission. And so um, uh, a few years ago when we did the uh, – when we first launched the job board, the Jolan Software job board, jobs.jolansoftware.com, which is now also the Stack Overflow job board jobs.stackoverflow.com, uh, you know, I asked around and I asked what people wanted and they said the number one thing is we don't want to see any stinking recruiters on there. And the way you can tell the recruiters on these stupid job boards is they never tell you the name of the company where you'd be working. And the reason they never tell you the name of the company where you'd be working is because they don't want anybody to be like, oh, craft is hiring? Craft sounds good. And go to the craft website and go to the job section and apply for a job. Because the, these recruiters are working on a commission basis and they get paid if and only if the job comes the 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 candidate is found by them 
Uh, it's they're basically working on a what they call a contingency basis. Uh, and so if you've ever gone onto Monster or Hot Jobs or looked at the classified ads and you've noticed that 90% of the ads that you see there have some random sketchy number you can call. They don't tell you what the company is or what they make. They just list a whole bunch of things that you have to do. You have to have five years of Ajax experience and 23 years of Ruby on Rails experience and so on and so forth. And uh, um, and and, and the, the, a lot of these classified job listing type sites are just full of those. It's 100% that, certainly Craigslist. What you're looking at is these contingency recruiters just trying to get as many resumes as they can. And they're going to throw every single one of them at these companies in hopes that one of them sticks and one of them actually gets hired. So this is not our market. This is not what we're interested in. We're not interested in this kind of thing happening on careers.stackoverflow.com. Uh, there's another kind of recruiter out there, by the way, that also goes by the name of recruiter, but does a very different thing. Um, and that's called... Oh, remind me what that's called. I just wrote about it. Contingency based. <laughs> Meta dot stack over. We were just talking about this today. It's the contingency recruiter and the retained retained search recruiter. search recruiter. Thank you. I just found it. Wow. Okay. So the retained search recruiter is somebody where you've got a company. Let's say that they make guitars. And mm -hmm. they need a great programmer, but they're a guitar company. They know nothing about programmers and they don't know how to hire a great programmer. So they will hire a retained search company and they will say, I'll give you 30,000 bucks. Get me a programmer and I will work. And the retained search recruiter always does an ex always works on an exclusive basis. So they're the only person trying to fill this job. There is nobody back at the company trying to fill this job and there are no other recruiters working at other companies trying to fill this job. And because of this exclusivity, they can feel free to say Joe Guitars is looking for uh, a great programmer. And they can use the name of the employer because they are working solely on behalf of that employer. And for, for all intents and purposes, that's almost like they're an employee, you know, temporarily of the guitar company, of the employer. And now these guys are fine people to work with when it's on a retained search like that. They, they have a very ethic, they, they, they need to get this job filled by somebody who's qualified in order to maintain their reputation in the business. They're not going to get any more work if they send you garbage. And so they will really only send over uh, good resumes uh, or, or, or people that they have personally vetted. They will generally do all the interviewing themselves to make sure that the person is qualified before they send them over to the company. Um, so these people will will tend to show up um, using careers.stackoverflow.com. But the first kind of recruiter, the uh, contingency recruiter, the kinds that are basically just resume spam factories where it's all about sourcing as many resumes as they can find and sending as many many of them on as possible in hopes that one of them gets hired and they get to keep their, their contingency commission. Uh, those people are not going to want to use um, Stack Overflow those contingency recruiters because they won't want to reveal the name of the company and we're going to require them to reveal the name of the company where the where the candidate would be working. See, now this is a good example, Joel, of why you are the PM, I guess you would say, of this this pro of this thing we're building because I, I didn't know any of that at all. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I had to learn Joel is really helping years. us drive this forward because Joel is, is much more intimately involved on, in the hiring on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I don't really hire for Stack Overflow, right? I sort of handpick people that I'd work with, which is totally cheating. Yeah, it's not going to But scale. Joel does. <laughs> it, it's something you do every day. You've, you've written books about it. Yeah. So you're, and you're by the, the way, we never use any kind of recruiters. We just, just don't sure. want to. Well, I, I would yeah. be shocked if you had, actually. 
So if you had to yeah. summarize, so one question that came up on Meta was like, okay, so why should I use this CV's functionality to 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 look for work? Like, what's what's the competitive advantage? Like, if you would summarize, like, why would someone pay us to list their CV? Yeah. Um, well, actually, let's just come back. So why are we actually charging the? Oh, yeah, good question. Why do we charge the programmers for this? And and I believe me, I'm I'm not charging them. Um, because I, uh, there, there is some controversy around this, obviously. It's because Joel hates programmers. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. That's why. No. Uh, the, the reason is because um, in order to attract the great recruiters, we have to promise them something. What we have to promise them is that when I give you a list of resumes, those are real candidates. They're not just kicking the tires to see if, you know, how much they would be worth in the open market. They're not just kind of entertaining offers. They're actually kind of serious. They actually think that they can get a job which is important because you don't want people kind of reaching for a job that they can't get. There, there will be people who are like, gosh, programming sounds like a great job, and they'll submit. I mean, I get resumes every time we put something even on our website. You, we get resumes from people that have never programmed money out of an ATM machine. Wow. Uh, they, that, that is sort of beyond their ability to type those digits into a, an ATM. So um, we are, uh, uh, I mean, literally, resumes from people that have worked at Dunkin' Donuts, and sometimes very serious cover letters saying, you know, I've been working as a salesperson in real estate. I'd really like to get into computers. I think I could be a great programmer. I saw that there are all these 21 day, days books. I don't, I don't really say that. But, but you know, utterly and utterly and completely impossible for them to ever get this job. And they're just applying because what does it cost them to email a resume? You know, it's free. It's like spam. It's basically spam. If, you, if they get a 1%, if they have a 1% chance of that great $100,000 programming job, well, that's better than what they're doing now, especially because they can apply for a thousand of those jobs just by spamming their resume. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, one thing I, I immediately got and I was hoping people would get is that one of the reasons we're charging money is honestly just to have a barrier to say you're either serious or you're not serious right. because gosh, I mean, I just, I, I remember my personal experience going to back in the day of, of dice and career builder. And it's just, you feel like you're in a wasteland. It's like embarrassing to even be in this bad neighborhood of like just random <laughs> yeah. people applying for random jobs are not even qualified for, yeah. you know, there's so yeah. much noise in the system that we want to have a system where Hopefully, there's a lot less noise. And this is, I mean, that's a key aspect of this, right? So, yeah. You're serious. So the great thing is, I think on Stack Overflow, I don't know how this is going to pan out. and uh, But my, my, my estimate is there's going to be like a 1,000 resumes on there. That's not going to be a big, gigantic, this is, these are all the programmers in the world. These are 1,000 pretty good people. You can find out if they're good by looking at their profile. If you're a recruiter, not a recruiter, sorry, if you're a hiring manager and you want to hire one person in Austin and you go and you look, and among these 1,000 people, there are 12 in Austin, that doesn't seem like a lot. But six of them are really good. All of them are looking for jobs. And you're going to have your choice of those six great people. And that's good enough to fill one position. You know, we're not going to be, uh, you're not going to, we're not going to be staffing Microsoft and, and Google <laughs> and Oracle <laughs> off, of, off of Stag Exchange. Uh, right. But, but we are going to be a great place to find one person. And w w the question is, would you rather pay a little bit of money and be one of the six great people in Austin looking for a job or have it be free and have 200 unqualified people in there with the six good people? Eventually, that's just going to the, the 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 good employers are just going to give up on on us if we have a bunch of junk resumes in there. And just to be clear, too, this isn't necessary. I mean, this is really about improving the lives of programmers, which to me is the core goal of Stack Overflow, right? In some small way, searching for information just became a little bit easier because our system is just a tiny bit better yeah. than the other crappy systems that are out We're there. We're helping it people be awesome programmers. Well, exactly. And th this is really the same goal of careers is this, this doesn't come out of, we need money. This comes out of the current system kind of sucks. 
Yeah. And as programmers, we build things. And one of the things we're going to build is, hey, we think we can build a slightly better mousetrap. And, you know, if it helps one programmer right. get out of, you know, corporate drudgery job into like a cool programming job where they actually value, you know, code, then I think that's totally worth it. I mean, that to me really is the goal. That's It's still part of our core mission, which is in a tiny way improving the lives of programmers. Yeah. So I, I just want to be clear about that because anytime we introduce money, you know, things get weird and... I mean, that was yeah. honestly one of my reservations with this system. Was well, that, also, don't get me wrong. The employers are paying most of the cost of operating the system. Oh, yeah. We should mention that because, I mean, we're, they're, there's they're, no information on the employer side. Yeah, we haven't really said that, but they're going to be paying, I think, probably the, the minimum for an employer would be $500 to get access to a search. And, and that's that, just like one like, day or whatever. It's <laughs> like a day of looking at it. It's like one search. Yeah. So the, believe me, the employers are going to pay, and, and it's going to be worth it to them because um, I don't know if you, if, if most people listening know this, but if you hire uh, a recruiter or just basically a, a, a budget for a typical company to fill a typical job is one half to one year's salary. So if, oh. if the job is a $100,000 job, uh, which is a pretty typical pro programmer salary, say in Silicon Valley for an experienced programmer, 100000 is about is about average. So uh, they would they would have a budget of fifty to 75000 to fill that job. Holy crap. So their budget is half of a year's Yep. Salary? Yep. Wow. That's why that. Yep. That's why they're paying three hundred and fifty for that classified ad on Stack Overflow and they're probably running ten on, on other sites that are similar and charge about the same amount. Um, they ha if they use the contingency recruiters, that's gonna th those are they're gonna take uh, at least three months salary, if not six months, uh, mm -hmm. uh, for for a successfully placed uh, uh, successfully filled position. That's basically just what they what they estimated the cost of filling that position. And then don't forget that when they hire somebody new, if there's some kind of turnover, uh, that person shows up and needs training. Just it takes time for them to come up to speed. So you're paying their salary while while they're you know getting their computer set up. Um, and uh, when all that is added together, filling a position is like a one one salary year pretty much in in lost money. So uh, uh, there's there's actually kind of a lot of money there on the uh, on the empl hiring employee employer the employer who doing the hiring you know they expect to spend money to get the good candidates to find the good candidates right so yeah it, just because we're charging the programmers doesn't mean we're not charging the employers yeah we're charging the employers a lot more more a, the a ton the programmers so, is just the minimum that we think it would take to to make them look respectable and of course um you and i have always had a philosophy of if somebody doesn't feel like they got value out of what we charge them for we just return their money and that's true. That is one thing we're adopting wholeheartedly and uh, without reservation on the Stack Overflow side is when we charge you money if for any reason that it – well, not forever, but in the first 90 days, yeah. if you decide, you know what, I don't like this, no questions asked, instant refund, no yeah. problem whatsoever. It's like send us a one-line email and it's done. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there is, there is that money-back guarantee aspect to it. I, I always appreciated that, and I think you had put some stats together too of like – and, and actually, I remember reading an article where somebody said they had tried to sell something online and people just weren't buying. But the minute they put in like a guarantee mm -hmm. that like all of a sudden it re it removed whatever barrier there was. Right. So I think it just gives people confidence that, it, you know, the risk has just decreased a lot. From the Fog Creek perspective, uh, with, our, with the software that we sell, um, we get about 2% uh, of 1% to 2%. Let's say 2% of the people um, get their money, take their money back. And wouldn't you much rather have like a happy person not sure. paying you than yeah, yeah, an yeah. angry person who has paid you? Oh, yeah. Doesn't that seem like just a horrible, horrible recipe for disaster? Well, <laughs> like if, if there's something about our service that's pissing you off and it hasn't satisfied you, can you imagine if you like kept their money? Get, well, just I, a lot angry? of times the trouble is the entrepreneurs and business people, a lot of times they start thinking about what's fair. 
And I just remember seeing, I, I don't remember who this was, so I'm not going to name names, but I just remember somebody in the old business of software discussion forums who got into a fight with a customer over $5. And he's like, listen, you know, first of all, you waited, blah, blah, blah. And then you used it. And then you, after you asked for the refund, you used it again. And then, you know, you don't get your $5 back. And he right. got into a long argument with a, with a customer and then came, came onto a business software discussion forum and said, okay, guys, who's right here? I'm just confused because my customer is totally wrong. And it was true. The customer was not justified in asking for their $5 back. They just, they just weren't. It was entirely the customer's fault. And I said, are you kidding? You're having a fight with a customer over $5? Yes. <laughs> it's $5. <laughs> right. And he's like, oh, gee, you're right. And I'm like, well, I would be I like, I am ever example. so sorry. It is my fault. Have $10 back, and here's free service for the next six months, right? Well, let me now, give you an at least maybe they'll, they'll go say good things about you. Well, exactly. Let me give you an example, like Flickr. So mm -hmm. there was a time when I was experimenting with image hosts for my blog, trying to figure out like how to deal with bandwidth and stuff, and what I what were my options for hosting images on a blog. Mm -hmm. And I looked at Flickr, and and my cursory look at Flickr said, okay, this could work. This is this is plausible. So I paid them for two years or something. Some whatever their default sign up was. It was like fifty dollars. So after doing that, I I finally read some little clause in their terms of service says like you can't use this for commercial or professional things and and you also had to link back on every image technically which not everybody does by the way back into so i realized okay i'm, I'm going to yeah. violate the terms of service if i do this so i wanted to cancel and like i had just paid for it like hours ago mm -hmm. and Flickr has a no refunds ever policy really i have never been angrier at an online service and for i swear probably still actually i'm doing it now i will tell anyone who will listen how much i hate Flickr now for yeah. as long as they will suck it up and listen <laughs> because they were totally no jerks to me that? That, that's just I know. Isn't there, how much ridiculous. did it cost them to give you some free bandwidth? Zero. Oh, it made me so angry. That, so, so that I, policy I, I, makes I, people I, angry and gains them zero. Yes, exactly. That's my point. So if you go the opposite direction, say, hey, you know what? No refunds ever. Yeah. People, you're going to turn people against you. They will actively go out into the world and tell people how much you suck. Yeah. Which, I mean, what what amount of money do you want to put on that? Right. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, huh. enough about that. Probably. Okay. So we're okay. not necessarily trying to take over the world with careers. Yes, uh, as you pointed out, it's not meant to be an enormous service. No, we, we want to take over. You know, you know what we want to do? We kind of want to make the high end. Like right now, if you go to the high end of like recruiting CEOs for Fortune 500 companies, there's like a very plush, elite, expensive. Like they, we're talking about people that can run a Fortune 500 company. There's kind of this really, really. They're, 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 these, they're, these, they're these big multinational recruiters headhunters that they, they know exactly they do these complicated searches they provide a very very high level of service for the top fortune 500 you know ceos so we want to do some the same thing for the top 500 programmers in the world right exactly so it, it's a bit of a niche service i mean i don't know how big it's going to get and you know we reserve the right to fail this might be a totally failed experiment um i don't think so fault. based on our current uh, uh sign up levels it's actually doing pretty good yeah but it is absolutely our goal to, to make these love connections, and we're going to do everything we can to, to make that happen for you. So if you do sign up and you do pay us the $29 a year, uh, rest assured we are working tirelessly uh, on your behalf yeah. to, to make this happen. Now, one final thing, Joel, that came up that I do want to cover is privacy. So if someone actually oh, yeah. lists – That was one CD, of the areas where we adjusted a little bit midstream. Yeah, we didn't actually have a good plan for this. So, so let's say you know, you're actually working at a company. But you, at the same time that you're working in that company, you want to also sort of be on the hunt. Mm -hmm. Well, the catch-22 is there, like, what if your employer actually signs up for Stack Overflow Careers and then sees that, oh, Joe is looking for a job? 
Um, so one thing we're going to do, like by default, is every employer that you list that you worked for. Now, bear in mind, this is string matching. So <laughs> string matching is what it is. I don't know if a better way to do this. But if any of those employers sign up for Stack Overflow Careers employer side, we're going to screen you from the search results entirely. If you've ever worked for that company, well, actually, is it just the current job, Joel, or all of them? All of them, I think, actually, just to be all of safe. Yeah. Right. If you've ever worked for that company at any point in your history, you will not show up in their search results by default. Yeah. And on top of that... And you can change that also, if you want. Yeah, there's also a filter you can set up. It's basically a regular expression. We'll give you like a tester and everything. And you can set up a string. Say, anybody matching the string cannot see me mm-hmm. uh, on the on the employer side. Now, this obviously doesn't, doesn't apply to the public side. Um, and another cool thing about the public CVs is that you can have a public CV just for fun. Just having a public CV doesn't necessarily mean, hey, I'm looking for a job. Right. Right. We pretty well, f- I, I think it would be great if like literally every working programmer maintained a public CV just so that, you know, if somebody sees your name or sees you on Stack Overflow, wonders who you are, sees you posting about something, wonders what your experience is, wonders about your credibility, wants to know if they should invite you to speak at a conference and, you know, that kind of stuff. You've got a public CV page just to basically announce, hey, here's who I am, here's where I've worked, here's what I've done, here's my education. Right. And we're going to offer super granular visibility on the public side. So you can have a very detailed CV and, and just handpick this, 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 this. Only these five things will show up on the public. Ah, it's like Facebook. Yeah. Well, we kind of have to because yeah. I, honestly, for me, like I don't really want my CV to be public like at all. Like I just, it's not something I'm really interested in. <laughs> right. Plus, I, well, I already have my blog. I mean, I'm a bad example of this anyway. Um, anything that I want to be public, would have been, I would have blogged about already. But I, I think there are some programmers like me who are just into privacy in terms of their work experience. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, this is totally opt-in. Like yeah. when you create a CV, there are manual steps to make it A, publicly visible to right. Google with your vanity URL, or right. B, file it with employers for to indicate that you're actually looking for a job. None of that is automatic. So everything's private by default 100% of the time. You can opt-in to non-privacy or making it public. While we're talking about privacy, actually, I should mention that one thing I hear a lot from neurotic programmers is, oh, I don't want to have anything. I don't want to appear on the web. And the truth is, you're probably on the web. I could search Google for you, and I would probably find some article that appeared in your hometown newspaper when you were a kid about how you got in trouble with the police or whatever. You know, this is going to be some little thing. (laughs) <laughs> that, that, that if I Google for you, I find. And the only way to get those things out of Google, and I get email from people saying, oh, I posted something embarrassing on your discussion group four years ago, and now, I'm, now it's coming up with my name. Could you please take it down, please? It's coming up at number one in Google hit for me. And what I, what I constantly tell people is the only way to get rid of negative stuff about you on the web is to, is to just basically wash it out with tons of positive stuff. It's like put some serious shit on the web, get your identity on the web explaining who you are in a way that you control in a positive light so that it dominates it and kicks that article about you breaking your neighbor's windows down to page 23 of the Google results. Right. You want to control your online presence, and that means actually publishing information yeah. into it. Yeah. And, and that means actually saying, you know, at the very least, here's my side of the story. You know, I was a programmer here, and I did this, and this is my, these are my qualifications. Sometimes, you know, if I get a resume from somebody, or even if I just hear from somebody, you know, I, I've been looking for speakers for Stack Overflow Dev Days. A bunch of people emailed me and said, hey, I'd like to speak in Toronto or or, or wherever, Seattle. I'm an expert on such and such. The very first thing I'm going to do is going to punch their name into Google, and, and, and sometimes it shows up. I find out very quickly who they are. I see people talking about previous speeches that they did and reviewing them, or I, I, I see you know, where they work. I see that they've written a bunch of books on Amazon. I see what their public, public persona is very quickly. Sometimes I don't see any of that, and you know, all I see is just some, like a few accidental things that just happen to be 
you know, what's left and shows up on, 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 on Google for that person. Um, and, and that's, that, you know, for, for many people, that's rarely the image that they want to have of themselves as the number one hit on Google. Yeah, I'm much more excited about the public thing. I, I wish we had actually thought about this earlier because it does change some of the design right. stuff we have to do. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but what are you going to do? And I think it does fit better with the model of Stack Overflow where the people that we let test the career stuff in beta, one of, the, one of the bits of feedback I got was that, well, this isn't really like Stack Overflow because A, I have to pay money for it eventually, which is optional now. Yeah. And B, there's no public, there's nothing here that's public. And right. since everything on Stack Overflow you do is public by default, there was an expectation that the career stuff would in some way be public as well. Right. So now that we're allowing CVs to be public, that I think better fits people's mental model of what they're expecting us to do. Yeah. And I think so, uh, that's, I, I think we're, we're, we're being poster children here for the benefits of shipping early and, and then adjusting course rapidly. Um, you know, we, we, the, the, the product that we launched on day one, the first beta that we launched um, uh, exactly a week ago today uh, was um, pretty close. It was off by about 10%. We didn't have that public by default. And uh, what was the other thing? We didn't have protection, you know, if you didn't want your resume showing up to, to, to previous people. So there was a little, a little bit of course correction there, but I would say it was about 10%, you know, change in degree. And, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's great to get that feedback quickly and to be able to implement that quickly. And we'll, by the time um, this thing goes out of beta, it'll be awesome. Right. Yeah, no, it, there's a certain amount of, exploration you can only do by shipping a product mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um uh, there's only so much thinking and private pontificating and coding you can do and to solve the problem well right. there's just a lot of people that have a lot of different expectations and just you got to ship it and then see what happens and then adjust rapidly and that's really what we do on stack overflow i mean we try to we deploy every night i think i've mentioned that yeah and uh every day i try to make stack overflow better in some tiny way and that to me is how you build a product you just slowly over a period of years polish the crap out of it right so careers hopefully will be the same way did we have any uh listener questions this you know week? the trouble is uh I, I don't know if we do oh, because you're on the road i'm on the road and i don't have uh i brought i forgot i'm missing one little piece of wire connection that i should have brought that would have allowed me to even play listener questions so i don't even have the technical capability of playing them this week but okay. i'll have that fixed for next week when we're doing a show in person, you and I will be together in San Fran, and we'll oh, put together cool. a show uh, live in person, and uh, that way we'll be able to get some listener questions in. So um, if you do have listener questions, something you want to talk about, especially if you want to talk about the new stuff, Stack Exchange, um, careers.stackoflow.com, uh, um, then uh, definitely do call the listener hotline and, and put those in there, and we'll talk about it next week's show. Maybe we can take cool. questions at Dev Days for the podcast or something. Oh, and give them our number to call in. Uh, yes. Okay. So I guess <laughs> do we do we have a number? Um, stack you know what? overflow. The number the number to call the podcast hotline is six four six eight two six three eight seven nine. Eventually, I will have that memorized. <laughs> <laughs> or you can email an MP three or file to podcast at stackoverflow dot com. And we'd love to get those uh, questions in. So what you do is just record a little message up to up to 90 seconds telling us what you want us to talk about. And we'll play it on a future episode. Okay, Meanwhile, cool. uh, any, anything else we want to announce real quick? We were mostly just, just j j jib-jabbing about, about, about all our products this week. No, I don't think so. I mean, that's pretty much everything we've been working on. That's what we've been working on. Um, yeah. 
we're we're in the midst we're in the midst of Stack Overflow Dev Days. I'm I'm sitting here in Austin tomorrow morning. We'll have the second Dev Day. The Boston one I think went pretty well. There were a couple of little tiny things that we'll fix for the next time. Um, really interesting. Oh, you know something really really interesting happened. I do kind of want to talk. I want to bring up a Stack Overflow question. Uh, it's actually a server fault uh, question, which I I uh, linked to from my my homepage on Jolin Software. Which is after the but what happened in the Boston event is we had pretty good Wi-Fi. Um, and suddenly the 254th person or something tried to log on and the DHCP server fell down because it just didn't have a large enough pool of IP addresses. And when I, when I started to dig into this, I discovered that nobody has good Wi-Fi at conferences. It never quite works. And there, there seems to be a disconnect between the people that, that run the conferences and the physical a, the AV people and the venue themselves. You get to one of these venues and you find a person that knows nothing about computers and they are in charge of the Wi-Fi. And you're trying to tell this person, I'm going to have 600 geeks here tomorrow, all with two devices each trying to get on the Wi-Fi network. They got their iPhone and their laptop and they're trying to get on the network with both of them. And did you check the DHCP server? And they look at you and they smile and they say, we have excellent Wi-Fi. We'll see what happens in Austin tomorrow. I was just talking to the guy last night. Really nice guy. Really awesome. He said, it's got enough capacity for 4,000 people. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, oh, uh uh-huh, he's got a Wi-Fi network that can handle 4,000 people. That is great. I am so psyched to see that work tomorrow because of these conferences. It never really works. So point being, uh, I I went on to server fault and uh, wrote a little question. Why is is Internet access and Wi-Fi, why does it suck so badly at tech tech conferences? And uh, it's server fault question 72767. And uh, if you look at the number one answer there, started by um, who? I don't know. It's a community wiki by now. But uh, it is a friggin' awesome answer. And the number two answer is good. And the number three answer is pretty decent. And there's a lot of really, really, really good information there. And this particular question about how, how do you provide Wi-Fi for a room of 400 geeks in a small area uh, or 3,000 geeks or, or whatever it's actually interesting. There is kind of an art to that, and it's not really documented. There are a few people wandering around in the world that know how to get this to work, and they work for some companies that you probably never heard of and you wouldn't think to hire Marriott Systems as an example of them. And they know the secret art to getting Wi-Fi to work at a conference. And now you can get most of that information from question number 72767 on cool. server fault. So that's my, uh, that's my exciting uh, server fault question of the day. Um, that was a good one. I like yeah. that one. Um, anyway, if you know anything about Wi-Fi in a large area, um, it's, it, it's, it's like a wiki now, right? So go into that question. The number one answer has been edited by a bunch of people. Um, go, in, go in there and tweak it, add a little bit more information, add links to, to other resources. Um, I, I spoke to Ryan Carson, who's running, running our conferences from Carsonify today, and he said, yeah, I, just, I went into that question and I took my number one guy and said, hey, I want you to read the answer to this question and make sure that we have this at all Carsonified qu- conferences from now on as, as that rapidly becomes the canonical place. And that's the great thing about the Stack Overflow server fault model. I'm, I'm kind of hyper. I've been drinking a lot of caffeine today. <laughs> well, that's kind of a hard problem, too. Hard so it was, it was an interesting question from yeah. that aspect as yeah. well. I mean, you kind of have to throw a lot of resources at it. I mean, if you have like a giant room full of geeks and all of them are on Wi-Fi, yeah. Because someone else pointed out like everybody Wi-Fi so many, is just I've, limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to make Wi-Fi really good, you got to throw yeah. money at it to some degree, right? The, and part of it I'm is not sure. Well, here's yeah, you can you can read the question, but some of the things which I thought were most interesting. Number one, get the heavy users off of it because Wi-Fi just has very very limited bandwidth. There are only a few channels. Right. And so the first thing you need to do is make sure the heavy users are off it. And to do that, the best way to do that is to provide fixed internet, you know, on a landline, on a wire, 
in as many places as you possibly can. You can have places, certain places where bloggers can sit and get fixed wire, wired access. You can even have breakout rooms or break rooms or something that have it just so if somebody has a large file to transfer, they go there and use that because the Wi-Fi is causing problems. Um, so that's the first thing. Then there's a lot of details about using the right hardware. There's a lot of questions about, you know, how to get the bandwidth to the venue itself. Um, there's, there's just a whole bunch of interesting stuff. Uh, to learn about this. It is definitely possible. There are conferences that are doing it. TechCrunch 50 was sort of famous um, for having spent outrageous amounts of money. And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they got it to work just by, by spending money. But if you look at technically what's actually going on there, uh, it's not the money that's making it work. It's actually just just the, the, the limited number of people that actually know the secret, that actually have the information for how to do it. Because you can spend a lot of money uh, there was a web in Europe was sort of famous because they allegedly spent like $100,000 or something. They gave Swisscom some gigantic amount of money to provide Wi-Fi at the conference, and it did not work at all in any way, shape, or form, even for the speakers. I mean, it was just a complete embarrassment, and that's because they didn't know what they were doing, but they knew that it was a big conference, so they could charge a lot of money. And, uh, um, you know, there are a few people that do know kind of the secrets. They know what equipment to use. They know how to prepare the room. They'll spend a couple of weeks before checking things out at the venue. They'll... Um, there's something interesting I saw about the TechEd conferences that Microsoft does in uh, uh, that Microsoft did in Australia, which is that mm -hmm. they, when they when they went in there, I think weeks before the conference was scheduled to start, just to see if there was any if there's going to be any, any interference with the Wi-Fi in the conference venue, they found that the venue already had its own Wi-Fi that was on lots and lots of different channels, like lots of lots of different SSIDs. Mm -hmm. that they were making available. Now, the way SSIDs work is it's kind of a broadcast thing where every access point says, hey, I am SSID blah, I am SSID blah, and they just keep broadcasting that several times a second. And they had so many of these at this venue that they were using up all available bandwidth just broadcasting just broadcast their SSIDs. what their SSIDs were. And so in a real industrial strength system, you would only have one SSID for all the access points. And um, you can do that by using these things that they call thin access points where the all the access point's job is to do is to take the frame off the air and then transmit it wired to a central um, router, which basically serves as the, the like an Uber access point for the whole venue. Right. Even though the little transmitters and receivers are sprinkled all over the place. So um, the, the first thing they discovered is that all bandwidth was being used by these SSID broad broadcasts, and they had to um, basically get the venue's crappy Wi-Fi turned off completely before they even started, just to just to just to open up a little bit of bandwidth so that they could make a, a Wi-Fi thing uh, work with a minimum number of SSIDs. So there's there's really interesting stuff like that. Not that many people know it. They don't know how to debug for that. They don't know how to go to the venue and test for that stuff in advance. And the people that do know it are are making it work. And hopefully that information will all start to show up in the, in this uh, article seven two seven six seven. On server fault. So anyway, cool. do call in uh, with your questions. The Stack Overflow Podcast hotline. There's a transcript wiki. I'm still doing the end of the show, right? That was all like just extra freebie stuff. Yeah. <laughs> still, yes. Yes. Uh, there's uh, there's show notes. The show notes uh, list all the URLs that we've mentioned during the show and um, just like a quick summary kind of thing. And that's located at blog.stackoverflow.com. And in the show notes, there's also a link to a transcript wiki, which is a uh, wiki page um, by volunteers around the world who transcribe the contents of this show for the benefit of the hearing impaired and to make them searchable by search engines and, and you know, just to get angry about something that Jeff or I said. Usually what they transcribe is some of the stupider things that we say. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually me. So, <laughs> right. uh, <sighs> anything else? <laughs> okay, well, I guess that's it for this week. 
That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.